Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-host and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. This is episode 69 of the show, and I am joined this week by our favorite Hollywood housewife, Laura Tremaine, and another familiar voice to the show, our friend and the founder of momadvice.com, Amy Allen Clark. Now, you may remember that back in episode 44, Amy joined us to share some life-changing perspectives. You all love that episode so much because she has such great tastes in books and made such great recommendations on that episode that we asked her back to talk books and reading with us today. She and Laura are going to go over some of the best things they read over the summer and what they are looking forward to reading this fall. Don't forget, you can continue the conversation with us over on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sorta awesome. So before we get to our awesomes of the week this week, Laura, you have some exciting news to fill us in on. Tell us what you have going on that is bringing an extra dose of awesome to your life right now. Awesome listeners, I am so excited to tell you that my new podcast, Smartest Person in the Room, launched this week with episode one, and we really would love it if you guys would go check out our new show. I'm the host, Megan is the producer and editor, and we are really, really proud of Smartest Person in the Room. It's different than Sorta Awesome. It's 30 minutes, a new interview every week with someone who is really smart about their passion or their expertise. We're doing them in topics. So there's going to be a chunk of episodes about one topic and then a chunk of episodes about another topic. So you can binge listen to the type of things that you like to listen to. We're starting out with the Hollywood series. And this week's episode one is an interview with Disney screenwriter and director Phil Johnston. I think you guys will really love what he has to say about making an animated film, how many people that takes. And the last thing he worked on Zootopia, made $1 billion with a B. (laughs) With a B, yes. So we talk about how crazy that is. It's a really fun listen, and I would love it if you would go try it out. Subscribe in iTunes. You can also follow the show at facebook.com slash smartest person in the room, or if you'd like to subscribe to our weekly email newsletter where we tell you about each episode as it comes out, then you can do that at smartestpersonintheroom.com. That's right. We are so excited about it. We've had so much fun working on this. Laura has had this amazing idea, and we've been working for months to get it up and running. So we would love to have you take a listen. So we do. We have a show cram-packed with book talk, and we are going to get to that in just a few minutes. But first, we'll start the show the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. Laura, what do you have for us this week? I have something really fun this week. It's an online framing service called FrameBridge. Now, you might have heard of this if you're on Pinterest or Facebook a lot. I think that's where I found them originally from their ads that came up in my feed, which is kind of a funny way to admit that you found a service. But anyway, (laughs) I'm fully admitting that I found them through internet ads. And I love what they do. It's a framing service that you upload your picture and then you can go through like sort of these virtual slideshows of picking a frame. So you can pick it with a mat, without a mat, whatever. And then they mail it to you in two to three business days. It's so amazing. It's really amazing. Now, I think it works best for Um, photographs that you want to display pretty simply, like with just a plain black frame or a white frame. They do have some gilded frames and a couple of sort of of out-of-the-box type ideas, but mostly I think this works best for like sort of um, a simpler display. Gotcha. But what I like about it, and now I've used it as a gift several times. In fact, (laughs) Megan. Yes, you have. I had a little special photo. (laughs) 
sent to you to commemorate the one year anniversary of Sorta Awesome. And it was sort of a private joke between us that just made me laugh out loud. Yes. And what I like about it as a gift is it's a little bit more expensive than if you were to, you know, have a picture printed at your favorite printing place and then went to the framing place and, you know, picked a frame yourself and then wrapped it in bubble wrap and shipped it yourself. Like it's a little more expensive, but it saves you all of that time. (laughs) Yes, yes. And I have to say on the receiving end of it, having received it as a gift, the presentation that they put together is beautiful. It feels really high end. I, I mean, it was it felt like a really great experience just to open up a little surprise gift like that in the mail. I loved it. That's why I think it's it's even best for a gift. Like maybe it might be a little bit too expensive to if you were doing your own gallery wall at home or something like that. You could probably do this better yourself. But to send it to someone, um, which and I think photographs are a great gift, like yeah. of you and the person or something funny or you know whatever, to um, be able to send it as a gift, and you can do it all from clicking on your computer, which is my favorite way to send anything. A hundred percent, yes. <laughs> so great. So that's my awesome of the week, and I highly recommend framebridge.com. Love it. Thank you for that, Laura. Amy, how about you? Well, um, my sort of awesome is, you know, sort of awesome for me because I got my hair cut and I haven't had my hair cut since April. Um, and I know this is, (laughs) um, it has been a long time. And so when I went to my hairdresser, she said that I could, you know, she'd cut me some bangs, which is great, but you know, as most women know, bangs have a learning curve, I feel like. And so um, I was online watching all these YouTube videos and I found this video from lovetaza.com. It's Mm T-A-Z-A.com. And she had this really neat bang trick and it was, she just kind of blow dried her bangs. But then after she was done, she lifted her bangs up and she sprayed them with dry shampoo. And she said it helped keep the grease away and kept her bangs Uh looking fresh. And so this week I tried out her tip and my bangs look awesome by the end of the day. So that made me super happy this week. (laughs) I love that. Yes, bangs. Bangs are both a burden and a beauty. I mean, <laughs> yes, I be- love them. I just don't like getting trimmed. So, you know, and it, when you don't go very often, bangs are a lot of work. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they totally can be. I love that. I love that. We will put a link to that video then in the show notes. So anybody else who is needing a quick fix for their bangs, if they're driving them crazy, they can also find that. So that's so fun. I love it. Also, yeah, Love um, Love Taza is a fun follow. I follow her on Instagram, and she has a really cute little family. They live in New York City, and she just posts really awesome photos, I think. Yeah. Don't you want her family to be your family? Because every time I'm like, this is the <laughs> coolest hipster family in NYC, like riding matching bikes and... I don't know. So I brought in her haircut actually for my haircut. In fact, I bring in many of her pictures for oh, my style. So <laughs> yeah, idea. she's got great style. Mm-hmm. She does. She's a really fun follow, I think. So great. Well, my awesome of the week is something that has been awesome in my life for several weeks now. And I keep thinking I have got to mention this on the show. So I found here in Oklahoma City a drop-in daycare facility. It's called Spontaneity. And you guys, I have been loving it. I have to preface this by saying my kids, I have four kids. They've never done daycare. I've always just been really like in the stay-at-home mom thing. When my girls went to their first day of school as four-year-olds at pre-K, they had never been in any kind of daycare, preschool, Mother's Day out, nothing before. So this has been a really big transition for me as the mom. You know, the twins are great with it. But here's what I super love about it. I know it's really specific because I'm talking about a place that's here in Oklahoma City, but I do think that there is something to be learned from all of this for everybody, for all the mamas who are listening. First of all, I love how their system works with it being drop-in daycare because you guys, I have commitment issues <laughs> when it comes Amen. To, <laughs> when it comes to our schedule and being flexible. And I think I've actually gotten worse about that as my older girls have gotten older because now that they're in school and activities, like I realize how much of our family schedule, the time just gets gobbled up by activities and school schedules and all of those things. So with the twins, I've really been dragging my feet to commit to anything that is you know, like you have to show up every day and everybody has to be dressed and (laughs) and fed and all of those things. So I love the flexibility that it is, um, that it's just drop-in care. 
there's a certain number of hours. I think it can go up. You can go up to 24 hours per week per child at this facility. Something else that I super love about it is it really speaks to my crunchy mom roots. I love the fact that the founder of Spontaneity here in Oklahoma City is very into natural family parenting practices. So the whole facility is very um, baby wearing friendly. In fact, almost every time I go in there, the woman who checks in the kids at the front has a baby in it, like a front carrier. And just like, oh, I would have loved to have this when my kids were little, little to know I could drop them off somewhere. And if they were upset or crying, someone would put them in a sling or a carrier. I know they're cloth diaper friendly. They um, serve only organic foods for lunches and and snacks. They're very accommodating and, and will work with you on your vaccination practices. So like we do delayed vaccinations. They gave me all the forms to fill out for that. Just It just speaks to our family philosophy so well. And that is really hard to find in like standardized daycare, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, so it's been really great. It really has. And honestly, I am hopeful and thinking that more and more of these sort of flexible daycare practices and um, facilities will open up around the country. In fact, I was watching an interview on Facebook, a Facebook Live interview with the woman who uh, founded and owned Spontaneity here in Oklahoma City. And she was talking about that she got the idea from a community that they had lived in in Louisiana. And they had moved here to the city. She couldn't find anything like the, the daycare place that she had in Louisiana. So she just decided to create her own. So that's another reason why I love Spontaneity. I love supporting women-owned businesses. I love it when anybody, any small business person, sees a problem that exists and just creates a business to meet the need that is there. So for Oklahoma Cityans, I will tell you it's at by Quail Springs Mall, which there is a ton of shopping and restaurants. So they, I mean, it's a brilliant location if you need to go shopping, if you're meeting a friend for lunch and you don't want your kids tagging along. It's a perfect place to drop them off. It's so safe and child friendly and caring and nurturing. And I think it's just a win win for everybody. So yeah, yes, that's amazing. Like I said, I've really been loving it. It has been a huge help for our family and for my work schedule for the past few weeks. So it has definitely been my awesome of the week. Okay, like I said at the top of the show, we are going to be talking all about books and reading again on the show this week. You guys have really given us so much great feedback on these books and reading shows that we've been doing. And as I mentioned, when Amy was on the show the first time, some of her book recommendations just blew us away with how great they were. So, Amy, before we start talking about the specific books that you and Laura have been reading lately and what you're looking forward to reading this fall, I have got to ask you, we love to, when we bring people on the show to talk books and reading, we love to hear about your reading habits. You do monthly book roundups that are amazing. They yeah, are so yeah. thorough. And I am always just like, how does she read so much? And then crafting these um, summaries and, and all of the things that you do to encourage your readers to, to check out these books that you've been reading is just fantastic. We will definitely link to Amy's uh, book roundups in the show notes so you guys can check them out too if you're not already getting those. But we would love to know, what is your reading schedule? What are your reading habits? Do you do you need a hardcover book? Can you read on a Kindle? Do you do a mix of both? Tell us everything about how you're getting so much reading done. Yeah, well, I think it kind of started with just good habits from the beginning. And I, I think that's a, a good opportunity. I mean, even as a mom to see what my dad did. My dad worked swing shift when I was a kid. And, you know, that is a difficult type of relationship to have with your children when you have to work odd hours. But oh, his sure. one commitment had always been, I will take you to the library every week. And so every week we went to the library and I've always been a ferocious reader and um, I really loved reading goals and I liked accomplishing goals. And that just has kind of continued throughout my life. But when I was in eighth grade, um, my teacher had a class that was speed reading and I took the class and of course, you know, because I was naturally a speedy reader, I did really well at it. And she had me assist with other kids. And I don't necessarily use the speed reading tactics. I have them. I sometimes do when the book is stupid or like, you know, I will like <laughs> yes. just kind of breeze through it really fast. But I really enjoy reading books and I want to take my time with them. But at the same time, I also am trying to keep a pace so that I can keep fresh books going on our site and things like that. So for me, um, you know, I used to just be a traditional, you know, I wanted 
the hardback book mm-hmm. in my hand. Um, but as time has gone by, I just realized how beautiful it is that we are able to access books at any time, really, from anywhere, from our phones. And, you know, audiobooks have opened up a whole new world. I can do that while I'm doing laundry or, you know, getting dinner ready. Um, if I'm waiting in line at the grocery store, I can pop open a book. I can have my iPad going while I'm stirring a pot, you know. And that is kind of my way of squeezing in as many books as possible is that I just, there's very rarely a time where I do not have a book in my hand or something that I'm working on. And then I also, you know, kind of toggle between books. So I'll have something on my nightstand and then I'll have something I'm listening to and something that I'm, you know, enjoying in the mornings. And so um, I like the variation of books and I like having lots of different formats to access. So I never have limited myself to one thing. And I think being more flexible has allowed for more, you know, opportunities for reading time, whether it's like just getting ready in the morning or, you know, um, just all of those different things that we do as moms, having the ability to listen to a book uh, opens up a whole other dimension of reading for me. I love that. Laura, you kind of mix yours up a little bit too, right? You have some on Kindle and some um, paper copies. Is that right? I do. I mix it up just like she said, except for I can't do audiobooks. I'm really right. bad at them. I can't, I just, I can't keep my brain in it. And then five minutes will go by and I don't have any idea what we're talking about. <laughs> right. I have noticed. Um, so in the last few years, Kindle has been my preferred way to read. It hurts my eye. My eyes are kind of sensitive. It hurts my eyes to read on my phone or iPad, although I will sometimes, but but I really like reading on my Kindle. It's very easy on my eyes, and I can throw it in my purse. I take it anywhere. I've read a ton of nonfiction in the last six months, and I realized that on the Kindle, nonfiction is harder because those are the type of books where I'm underlining or want to flip back to reference something. And while I do highlight on the Kindle, that's fine, but you can't flip back and forth very easily at all. I almost never want to do that on a novel, so it doesn't matter. But with as much nonfiction as I'm reading, I'm kind of learning about myself. I probably need to have the hardback. I'm the same way. I have to have, if I'm reading something nonfiction, it's super hard for me to do that on the Kindle. So yeah, I totally get it. Well, Amy, you mentioned that you have a a steady flow of books coming through because you do write about books so frequently. You want to be able to share with your readers the the newest releases, the, the freshest recommendations that you can. Because of that, you do always have something interesting that's kind of being buzzed about in the literary world to share about over at momadvice.com. So I would love to hear from both of you some of those books that are creating a lot of buzz right now that we're all hearing about. Amy, why don't you tell us some of the books you've been reading that are definitely part of the book conversation right now? Yeah, so um, with summer reading, the biggest book I think that had the most buzz was The Nest by Cynthia Dupree Sweeney. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason why it was a big buzz book was that it sold for seven figures and she was a debut novelist, which is a really, really big deal. And not only that, I mean, just for some background information, she was 54 when she published this book, which kind of gives me a little hope that if I want to reinvent myself later in life, I have that opportunity. It was something that she'd always wanted to do and um, she made it happen. So I I just like the backstory as well as, you know, the book itself. There was also just an interesting tidbit about this book is that when she sent out the proposal, her agent, um, he actually sent it right after Thanksgiving or like a holiday. And so it's kind of at the time where as families were kind of at our highest of dysfunction and intolerance. And this book is about a dysfunctional family. And um, I just think it's great that he timed it right after the holidays when you're kind of like tired of your family. <laughs> right. kind of, I mean, I just think the timing is so great with this. But um, if anybody hasn't read it, it's, it's a story about a dysfunctional family. The nest is the inheritance that all the kids are fighting over. Um, and then what ends up happening is that the alcoholic brother takes the nest and uses it for legal help when he gets in a car accident. And so it's kind of the aftermath of what happens after you find out, oh, this money that you were expecting, that's really not going to happen. Uh-huh. And so the, the thing about this book, though, I think is that it's a little polarizing. I think um, the characters are not really likable necessarily, and it's about a dysfunctional family. So 
Gotcha. People either really like that kind of thing. And I think if you're a fan of someone like Jonathan Troper, who's really good at it, or if you enjoyed shows like Arrested Development, I think The Nest is a great fit for someone like you. But if you prefer your characters to be really likable and lovable, this is not the book for you. Right, right. <laughs> the other book that I read that had a lot of buzz was All Things Cease to Appear by Elizabeth Brundage. This book, I think you need to know going into it, this is not a mystery book. And I think that a lot of people were disappointed because they thought that it was going to build up and there was going to be this big reveal at the end of the book. And it's not a book like that. It's a lot like Everything I Never Told You, where the book kind of opens with the crime. So it it automatically tells you exactly what happened. And then it builds out from there. So if you're thinking that there's going to be a big reveal, it's not really the best book. But Elizabeth Brundage, when she came to talk um, on our site uh, about this book in particular, All Things Cease to Appear, she shared a really interesting backstory. And I do think this one's worth linking to is that that everything in this book is kind of like a character. And one of the characters is the house. And the house was based upon a house that they had lived in. And there is a very chilling ghost story that went with the house that she lived in where they were being haunted. And it was a very like a haunted in the way that my hairs on my arm stood up. Like the story is so elaborate that it would, it's just unbelievable. And when I read it to my husband, who is a big ghost believer, I'm kind of like, meh, I don't know, but (laughs) he is definitely, and he was really blown away by the story. So the house in this book, I think this is a really big character piece. Like the house in itself is a character. And um, but this book is very slow build. It's character building. It's beautifully written. It's almost like reading poetry. But if that's not your kind of book, I don't think this book is for you. But if you enjoy just reading a great story and you like character pieces, particularly ones about a sociopath, which is one of the main characters (laughs) in the book, um, it's a very well-built book. And it's just a fascinating um, read. I don't know how to explain it. She's an incredible storyteller. I enjoyed it thoroughly. But I think you have to have the the knowing in it that this is not going to be a reveal. You're not going to, you know, find out this shocking thing at the end. It's just that is what it is when it opens. And that is what it is after it's done. Okay, so that's all things cease to appear. And did you say that that she did one of your author interviews on Mom Advice? She yeah, she ended up guesting um, on my site, and she was a very hard person to track down. Oh. I was unable to find very much information about her. So when I found her email address, it was a really big deal to try to connect with her. And I honestly didn't think she was going to reply, and she did. And her interview was probably one of the most lengthy interviews. She was very excited to talk about her book, but I think that she... Is, doesn't do as many interviews at, like that. And so I was very, very honored that she decided to take the time to really share behind the scenes. But I had done a lot of research and I just found this one little article about her haunted house and I knew it would be such a fun piece for our site. That is so great. We will definitely link to that interview. Amy's has a collection of amazing author interviews on her site, but we will for sure link to that one. Yeah, and so the other book that everybody's been talking about is the science fiction book Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. Okay. And it was, I think, in that book of the month club. I I am not a member, but I did see it pop up on there. And I think this is a great book for anybody. In fact, I read it and I handed it off to my husband and he read it and he loved it as much as I did. Oh, wow. And even if, yeah, and even if you're not a sci-fi person, I think it's kind of like the Martian, Ready Player One. It's a great crossover book for someone who is a little intimidated by science fiction, but would like to dabble in it. This is a great example of an incredible writer that brings you in. And the reason why it brings you in is it's not just science fiction. It has an incredible love story. And the whole premise of the book is about Jason Dessen. He's the main character and he's trying to get back to his original life. And so I'm not going to tell anything else about it because I think it takes away from the 
you know, kind of the revealing throughout the plot. Mm -hmm. But one of the reasons why I loved it so much is that all he wants to do is be back with his wife. And so there's this beautiful love story that you just are rooting for him to find himself again. And I think it would be a great one for anyone to read. It's actually probably going to be one of my top reads this year because it's just really well written. And I understand that Blake's already working on the screenplay for this book, so we can expect to see it some at some point. Dark Matter uh, will be in theaters. I love that. I, it's taken me a long time to come around to the fact to admit and own the fact that I enjoy sci-fi quite a bit. So sci-fi <laughs> plus a love story. This sounds like it is a book for me. So I'm definitely going to check that one out. That was such a good one. I, I guarantee. I there's just something to love in it for everyone. Good stuff. Thank you for that, Amy. Now, Laura, you too also always have a book in hand that is a recent release, a hot new release. So I would love to hear from you what you picked up over the summer that is getting a lot of buzz as well. One of the books of the summer that was everywhere was The Girls by Emma Klein. Yes. And I just saw it in all of my social media feeds at Costco, at the bookstore, like that book was everywhere. It's a fictional account of the girls um, who fell under the spell of Charles Manson. Aha. Uh-huh. So he was, you know, sort of a cult leader. I say that loosely because he didn't have like an actual religion that he was espousing, but he did have these really um, <laughs> intense beliefs. He did inspire intense worship and devotion to himself. And, you know, in this time frame, a lot of young girls and boys too, but a lot of times I've been reading a lot about this, this time in history in American history and sort of the teenagers (laughs) went amok (laughs) and they were really drawn to counterculture. And, you know, this is the hippie movement that now is, you know, almost like the stereotypical thing, but it was like this very real point in American history. And so the girls is just this fictional account of one teenage girl and how she is like a very normal, like suburban middle-class white girl who gets drawn into a group of girls who are following a leader who is very much like Charles Manson. It's very, very, very much based on Charles Manson, so much so that even some of the names are similar. And they're leading up to, the story is leading up to what we know as like the Sharon Tate murders. Uh-huh. Even though, again, it's fictional, so they've changed all the names, but it's it's very, it's not even trying to be coy. Like it's very obvious that there is going to, be a big, crazy, murderous event. And the book is sort of leading up to that. I see. So the premise is very interesting. The execution is okay. Uh, Better than okay. I I don't know how to say. I didn't like absolutely love it. I'm not raving about it. I did think it was good. I thought the writing was excellent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's sort of um, a scene at the end that made like the whole thing worth it to me. So about three fourths of the way through, I was like, I don't know, is this getting kind of not boring, but like, because we know how this story ends in real life and and then what it's based on, I guess I was maybe not sure how we were going to wrap this up in a way that was surprising or satisfying. And there is a scene at the end of the book that I felt like, oh, and you realize that because we do know the basic plot that they're going for, this is really a character study. And when I looked at it that way, as opposed to looking for some new angle or something like that, Mm -hmm. I guess I kept waiting for there to be like this, either a twist, she was Mm -hmm. going to twist it from the Charles Manson story, some special angle was going to be revealed that never comes. And until at the end, when I realized, oh, this is just a character study of what it was like to be Um, a girl in this time period and why you would be drawn to this thing. That makes so much Um, sense. Yes. So I, so I ended up sort of enjoying it, even though while I was reading it, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. No, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Some books will do that to you for sure. (laughs) I, I know they will. The other book that is, was buzzed about in certain circles, maybe not quite as 
mass produced as that one, but that was very anticipated was The City of Mirrors by Justin Cronin, mm-hmm. which was the third book um, in a trilogy called The Passage. Yes. Now, I have talked about The Passage on this podcast before because I loved that book so much. Yes. And then the second book came out and it was called The Twelve. I was very disappointed in The Twelve. And then this third book was The City of Mirrors. It's super long. It's like a million jillion pages. (laughs) Roughly. (laughs) And um, there's a lot of battles. (laughs) Like I think... (laughs) I think I wrote um, on Instagram once, I was like, there's so many battles in this book, like on and on we battle. And so (laughs) there was a lot of that. However, when I finished it, I was like, oh, this story as a whole, even the middle book, the 12, which I didn't love, when you look at the whole thing, the whole trilogy, which is how you're supposed to look at these things, this is was like, a literary feat. It really was. This the characters, how they go through time. Um, and I don't I'm just not gonna give anything away about this story. Okay. It's sort of post-apocalyptic after the world has has sort of succumbed to a disease. Okay. But it was a disease that was sort of created and fostered in a medical lab. Mm-hmm. So it's a little sci-fi, it's a little sort of vampire monstery and then it's a lot relational this group of people who have survived in a community how they continue to survive and it's it's a hard story like people die people break up people get turned into these monsters like it's a really intricate hard story and again with this last book the city of mirrors i was like whoa with all the fighting but (laughs) at the end of it I just was like blown away at this world he had created. I mean, in, I mean, in, it like took him 3000 pages right. to create it. Yes. But if you've traveled the whole thing and if you haven't read any of them and you could read them back to back, that would be an, a special bonus because you could, you can really get it. I had years in between books, sure. which I also think sort of taints your view of them. Sure. But I was really glad I read it. I thought he concluded it. There's a couple of plot points at the end that you kind of think really, but in general, I think he concluded it in a satisfying way, in a really epic way. And I don't use that word lightly. Like, you know, it ties to the world and God and humanity and like all the things like fist pump at the end is how I felt. I like that. I like that you can look back from the very ending and see the epic thing that it was by the time you got to the yeah, conclusion. Yeah, I still haven't read those. I you haven't really either. inspire me yeah. to do it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're absolutely. A they're really a task to take on. Like I get why people are sort of intimidated by them. They're big. Maybe not everyone's usual genre, but I, I do think that there is a lot of of kind of literary worth to them. And Stephen King highly endorses them. If that means that, anything to anyone, it means a lot. Well, to do you, you think this is more like a a winter read then? Like because they're so big, like this is like a winter thing you would settle in. I think it's a winter read because they're dark. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're really dark. I mean, they're, they're really dark. They're, okay. they're dark. <laughs> There's like <laughs> heads being ripped off. Oh, oh that's wow. nice. You know, they're that. <laughs> but the first one, when I read the passage, I read it for my real life book club. Someone else picked it. This is not something I ever would have picked up ever. And as I was reading it, I got so involved in it. I would dream about it at night. Oh, wow. And yeah, it was good. It, it, it got into my psyche. Gotcha. Well, I remember that back in episode 61, when our friend Kara was on the show, and you all were talking about books you were looking forward to reading, that The City of Mirrors by Justin Cronin was on that list. I know, Laura, you were also looking forward to Leanne Moriarty's Truly Madly Guilty. So I believe you've read it. And Amy, I think you've read it. What did you all think of that one? Oh, gosh, I'm going to make Amy go first. Oh, man, that was not a good read for me. And actually, I was super excited to read it. I've been thinking about this book since her last book came out. Just really like I'm a super fangirl of her writing. So I'm not in any way like it was it was I really, really was waiting for this moment. In fact, it was one of those that I don't buy books as often as I probably should as a reader. But I'm a big library proponent. And so 
I was thinking about buying this. So that's how, like, if, if I say I'm thinking about buying it, it was going to be, like, an amazing book. Yes. And I was, like, basically first in line at my library, and it came in, and it was a bummer. So it was just a meh book for me. She uses the same exact formula as she did in her last book where she sets up this event where this terrible thing happens and, like, you don't know what it is. But the first 250 pages are building up this event and this event, this terrible thing that happens at a cookout. It's like this horrible thing in the neighborhood and no one's talking to each other and like all these things. And then they reveal what it is. And it was just like, not that bad. So then it's (laughs) like the whole second half is trying to wrap up all these loose strings, tie everyone together. And it, it was just, it was just not a good read for me. And so for me, like, I still appreciate her as a story writer. I'm still going to you know, run out and get our next book. But that one was just a real bummer for me. So I don't know how you felt about it, Laura. I haven't seen your review yet. I feel very similar to what you just described. I'm a huge Leanne Moyarty fan. Like you, I will buy her next one. It's This hasn't soured me on her or anything. I do feel a little bit bad that anything she was going to follow up to Big Little Lies there was just going to be a lot of expectations on it. Big Little Lies is so good Um, for what it is. I mean, you know, she's my favorite kind of fun B-tree type of writer. And that book is the perfect of that. I love the way Leanne Moyardi writes women. I think that she gets in women's, I mean, she's a woman, but like, I think she writes what's going on in women's brains almost better than anyone I've ever read. Like she has kind of strings of thoughts that I think I didn't know anyone else thought like that. And that's exactly how I think. I just think she's really good at that with Mm -hmm. women, you know, in a very like detailed, awesome way. This book, and I've read all of her books, this book of all of her books had like a bitterness to it. Interesting like a negativity Mm -hmm. to it Mm -hmm. that I felt like her other books don't have. Mm -hmm. It's not that her other books are all necessarily light and fluffy. Some of them have heavier themes, but they are still likable. Even the unlikable characters are likable because what I described, you sort of feel like that's the same type of unlikable you are if everybody knew your thoughts type of thing. Sure. This book, it wasn't the characters were super unlikable. It was that the tone to me was like bitter. Mm. Like I was like, I don't, I don't, I'm not rooting for any part of this. I'm not rooting Mm -hmm. for the marriages. I'm not rooting for the friendships. I'm not rooting for what happened after the big event. Like I just was not, I was not rooting for anybody. And I don't think that you have to root for somebody in every book, but in her books, you usually are. And so, and I agree with Amy that it was the same formula as her last one, which maybe she just did that to pump it out. I don't know, but that, She needs to do a different. Well, you never know how these things will turn out. So (laughs) interesting to hear those thoughts because I trust both of you guys with your tastes uh, completely. So it's interesting to hear your thoughts. We are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more. Hey, awesomes. I have to tell you that between managing not one, but now two podcasts and looking after my family of six, I have never been more grateful to have dinner time plans all taken care of before the week even begins. Eat at Home's dinner plans provide easy dinner solutions for busy families like yours and mine. With your membership each week, you'll receive shopping lists, recipes, including slow cooker and easy freezer meals, printable menus, and more. Eat at Home's dinner plans use common ingredients that are easy to find and work for a variety of recipes. Eat at Home wants to share this recipe for 15-minute creamy chicken Florentine quesadillas with the awesome community. And it's a recipe I made for my own family just last night. To make this 15-minute meal, I simply mixed cream cheese with a bit of garlic powder and spread that all over a tortilla. On one half of that tortilla, I piled up chopped rotisserie chicken, artichoke hearts, cherry tomatoes, spinach, and a little Parmesan cheese. I slipped that tortilla into an oiled skillet and flipped the empty side up over the top until I had a half moon shape. I browned one side, gently flipped it, and browned the other. 
I made a quesadilla for everyone in the family and served spinach salad on the side. So easy, fast, and filling. That recipe and a link right to eat at home are in this episode's show notes. Don't forget to use promo code AWESOME at checkout to receive 20% off of your Eat at Home membership plan. You can also go right to eatathomecooks.com for more information. So here's to way less grocery store and dinnertime chaos and many more awesome meals to feed our families, all thanks to Eat at Home dinner plans. We are back, and today Laura and I are joined by our friend Amy Allen Clark, and before the break, we were dishing on the most buzzed about books right now. Let's dive into some of the nonfiction things that you've been reading lately. So Laura, nonfiction-wise, what have you been reading that you've been loving? So I have read mostly nonfiction all summer, which is not... I usually try to go back and forth. I read one fiction, one nonfiction, back and forth, and... I don't know why my brain was very, very busy. And when my brain is super busy, it's hard for me to get into a fictional story. Right. Yeah. Which it should be the opposite. Shouldn't I want to escape? But I can't. It's better for me when my brain is really busy. It's better for me to read nonfiction. I can't. I don't know the psychosis on that, but that's (laughs) what happened. So I have read a lot of nonfiction. The ones of note are... Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance. Okay. That was a new release in August. I bought that book. I've never heard of him. I read an interview with him in the American Conservative about why Donald Trump appeals to a lot of people. Okay. Which, you know, without getting overly political, I have been in complete despair over this year's election. I have struggled to understand a lot of different things about it. And I read this interview in the American Conservative with him, and it was very balanced. It and it was explaining slices of America that honestly I just didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And the way that he explained it made just total sense to me. And I really wanted to hear what else he had to say. So Hillbilly Elegy is actually a memoir, his memoir of growing up in sort of Kentucky with what he calls hill people, like sort of Appalachia. Uh-huh, I see. He gives a history that I actually was familiar with. My husband made a documentary several years ago called The Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia, which is actually a very similar uh, slice of American history of people and um, people below the poverty line and how they got there and how they have stayed there in America and why. So I was actually sort of familiar with this, but then just reading his story and how it affected him. And, you know, he, he got out, he went to the Marines, he ended up at Harvard. Like it's a really different take, but through his lens, we can sort of see a whole part of America that I truly, like, if you don't know it, you don't know it. Like you don't know what you don't know, you know? Yes. And for fans of a book like The Glass Castle, which is an excellent book about a woman who grew up with parents who were homeless mm-hmm. and who chose to be homeless, actually. And then and also she went to Ivy League and then wrote this book. And I don't think that the that the formula has to be Ivy League person writes about their hard childhood. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> but I do think that if you're that type of thinker, they are able to explain that this story. They are able to explain this perspective in a way that makes others understand it better, perhaps. And so his story, Hillbilly Elegy, it just shows a pathos to a lot of America and how we got here in politics. And I just found it to be absolutely, absolutely interesting. And I encourage people who like that type of story and who maybe are also confused about how we got here, who are like genuinely confused, like not being snarky, but like, I don't, I don't understand what's happening, that this might shed some light on what's happening. That sounds completely fascinating. And it's totally going on my to be read list for sure. What else you got? Mine too. Another one I read recently is called American Heiress by Jeffrey Tubin. Jeffrey Tubin wrote The Run of His Life, a, the O.J. Simpson story, which is what oh, FX right. then made into The People versus O.J. Simpson. Yes. I was a super, super big fan of that miniseries. And those same producers are going to make something based off this. 
American Heiress is the story of the Patty Hearst kidnapping. Oh, mm. interesting. So I know very little about that event or even that part in time. I will say people who are my age or younger who feel like maybe the whole world has gone crazy. We are living in the craziest of all history. <laughs> I encourage you to read about the 1970s and maybe you will feel like, no, we're doing all right. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> because when I've been reading some stuff about the 1970s and I'm like, holy wow, was it insane <laughs> during this time. But American Heiress tells the story. Like I said, it's it's nonfiction. It's um, just telling. It literally opens with the kidnapping of Patricia Hearst by the Symbionese Liberation Army, who was actually not an army. It was actually eight people who then sort of terrorized, they set off bombs, they murdered a prominent figure in San Francisco. They obviously kidnapped Patty Hearst. And then sort of, she became one of them. She then joined the SLA and took up guns herself and became a fugitive Mm -hmm. after they had kidnapped her. Mm -hmm. And this was before we had any real understanding of Stockholm syndrome or brainwashing or anything like that. And in his telling, you might argue that she was neither a Stockholm syndrome victim nor brainwashed. Like interesting. You might think that it was a kind of a natural progression. So it's a, it's a super interesting story. I felt like the writing was a little dry at times. I haven't read anything else by him, but for the actual, like just facts of the case and a really, really interesting thing, this factual account is very good. It was not maybe as entertainingly written as some of these things are. Mm -hmm. But just to have the knowledge, I really liked reading it. This would be the type of thing that I might actually be able to listen to. This might be the type of thing that would be good on audio. Right, maybe because it's more narrative nonfiction rather than I've got to learn something from this nonfiction. Right, no, you you could follow it. You could, yeah, it just might be good, I think. American Heiress by Jeffrey Tubin. Gotcha. Amy, what about you nonfiction-wise? What have you been loving? Yeah, so I'm not a big nonfiction reader, so it's usually a forcing out of either, like, I listen to audiobooks. I do prefer nonfiction audiobooks more than anything, or it's a suggestion from a book club. So our hangout group for the site, they we have guests be the um, moderators for each month for the book club. And so one of our moderators chose A Mother's Reckoning by Sue Claybold, which she is the mother of Dylan, who was one of the shooters involved in Columbine. And actually, based on Laura's recommendation, I did read the book Columbine by Dave Cullen. And so I kind of knew what I was getting into, but I also didn't know if I could handle, like, I'm a highly sensitive person. I don't know if I can be in the trenches with Sue as she's explaining everything that happened with her son. Mm, So I'm not going to cry, but it was a very emotional read for me. Um, And I am glad that I read it for a number of reasons, but one of them was just understanding her own journey. Like she was a parent just like me. She wasn't a parent that was not doing a good job or what we stereotypically think of with, you know, someone whose kids go crazy. We think, well, what kind of parent would, you know, allow their child to do that? I mean, she was an incredible mother and the things that she did to discipline her child and, um, and the, the overprotectiveness of her was very genuine. I mean, Mm. everything that she explained and she was absolutely devastated by this tragedy, but more importantly than that, the reason why I think that everyone should read it, that's a parent is that her son was mentally ill. Mm. And so he had never had that discussion with her. Right. And it, and just for background information, she's not profiting from the book. The book, all the profits are going for mental health awareness. Like it's all going to a foundation to help further research and do things like that. So it's not, this is not a profitable thing. It's not sensationalized. This is a very real and raw account of a mother's experience of, you know, being one of the most hated people right in in her community. I mean, who, who could live through that and, 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 you know, deal with that on a daily basis. It's really an, an incredible read. But after I finished reading it, I realized, like, I talk with my kids about their health, and we talk about, you know, very, I feel like I'm a a good mom and I'm in tune, but I never talk to my kids about their mental health. How are you feeling? Um, Is anyone bullying you? Are you feeling, 
you know, like what's happening, you know, inside your mind. Like I need to know those things too, because the only way that um, she could have possibly ever helped him was having an awareness of mental illness. And so it was something that right after I finished, you know, reading it, I talked to my kids about like, you can always come to me. Like if there's something going on or you're feeling blue or anything like that, I want you to talk to me and, you know, I will always get the help. I will never judge you. And so it really tore me up, but I'm glad that I read it. All right. That sounds excellent. And it's called A Mother's Reckoning. Yes, by Sue Claybold. Okay. And I will jump in here to say that um, Columbine by Dave Cullen, which is what Amy mentioned earlier, is, I think, one of the most important nonfiction books I've ever read in my life. And I know that people are probably not like running to read about mass murder, but I think it's a very, very, very important book on a lot of levels. And so I'm glad to hear Amy's thoughts on A Mother's Reckoning because I've hesitated to pick it up too, just because it seems like so hard. So well, thanks and just, for telling us. Yeah, and absolutely. And, you know, just about the Columbine book, I do think it's important to read that before you read her book because it her, it's a more broad spectrum of everything that's happening. And she is only telling Dylan's story. She's sure. not telling... You know, she's not telling the story for everyone. She's telling one section of the story. And if you know all the sections, it really gives you a good point of reference. Oh, that totally makes sense. I get that. Okay, well, we cannot wrap up a show about books and reading about without talking about some fiction. Now, Laura, you just said that you mostly have been reading nonfiction right now. Do you have any other fiction picks to share with us? I don't. I talked about the the fiction that I read this summer that is worth mentioning. Otherwise, I just want you guys to tell me what to read. Okay, well, I have a few, believe it or not, a couple that are kind of more from the YA genre a little bit. I do tend to read a lot of nonfiction and work my brain out that way. So YA is my indulgence when it comes to fiction. So the first one I wanted to mention, I actually read this last spring, so I'm cheating a little bit by including it in my summer reading. But (laughs) I read it last spring, and it is Trenton Lee Stewart's The Mysterious Benedict Society. Now, this is not a new book. It came out in 2008, but I had not heard of it until my daughter, Daisy, who was 11 and in fifth grade at the time, uh, picked it up for school. She got it in the school library. She was so into it and just could not stop talking about it that I was like, well, I'll just read it along with you. So we read it at the same time. I have to tell you that it is so it's such a great middle grades book it is fantastic it's set up in a construct that i can never turn down it, they're the tropes that i come back to time and again where we have protagonists who are children who are super smart and clever they are flawed but charming very likable there's no parental figures there's a wise kindly father figure who kind of steps in to guide them on their path And as it turns out, they need to save the world from an evil villain. (laughs) (laughs) That is my construct that I love to a T. So I won't go into the whole plot line as it unfolds. Those are the basics of it. I would say it's kind of a read-alike of sorts for like Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events with a heavy dash of Roald Dahl in there, his sensibilities, um, kind of quirky, off-kilter characters, and definitely a dash of Harry Potter-like adventures going on in that. And again, I just highly recommend it either as a read aloud to your children or to read alongside with your kids because we had, Daisy and I had so much fun reading and talking together. And I had never read anything from Trenton Lee Stewart before. His writing is so crisp and clean. Um, in fact, the whole book is actually totally clean writing. There's no, you know, sometimes middle grades, some uh, some more grown-up language starts to seep in, but there's none of that in Mysterious Benedict Society. And I saw a reviewer note that his writing has an old-fashioned elegance to it. And I was like, yes, that's it. Old-fashioned elegance and an incredible story in Trenton Lee Stewart's Uh, Mysterious Benedict Society. The other one I'll mention really quickly, again, I read this late spring of this year, is another book from Kate Reculia. I've mentioned her novel, Bellwether Rhapsody, on the show before. It was my awesome of the week back in episode 58. Well, uh, my friend Kara, the one that has been on the show talking books with Laura and I before, she and I read this one together. This must be the place we did our own private book club with (laughs) Which is such a fun way to read books. Apparently, as it as I'm talking, I'm realizing I really like to read books with people. <laughs> um, 
So this was Kate Ruculia's first novel. It was released in 2010, and it revolves around the lives of characters that are kind of centered in this boarding house in upstate New York. One of the main driving storylines has to do with a, a mother and her teenage daughter, their relationship, the secrets and lies that are woven into their life stories. Um, also, one of the through lines of the book is a grieving husband whose wife was this outgoing, vivacious woman who died unexpectedly in an accident. He has only a shoebox with memories like um, like ticket stubs and notes and postcards stuffed into it. That's all he has to really kind of get to know who she was before he met her and they got married. And so he takes that shoebox and eventually makes his way to this boarding house in upstate New York and also is unraveling sort of the lies and secrets and connections that have brought him there. So this one definitely has more grown-up language, more mature storylines. In the same way that Rainbow Rowell is kind of hard to classify if she's YA or not, I feel like Kate Rukuli is the same way. Definitely has some teen storylines going on, but a lot of the, a lot of the um, conflict in the plot is very adult, like adult situations that we all have to encounter and figure out. So um, that is This Must Be the Place by Kate Reculia. Definitely recommend that one as well. Amy, what about you? Any fiction that stands out for you right now? Oh, yeah. All right. Basically, I had two books that were about time travel that I really, really enjoyed. And I am a, a time travel nut. So anything to do with that. 112263 is still one of my favorite books that I've ever read. But there was one that was picked by, it was the Global Book Club pick. I guess there's a Global Book Club. Again, uh-huh. I knew nothing <laughs> about this. And you can probably find the website, but they, they pick one that everyone on the globe is supposed to read during a certain week. And so I did it. And it was called A Murder in Time by Julie McAlwain. Okay. And it's about an FBI agent who, you know, is trying to like basically get you know, vindication on a a bad, a case that went sour. And she goes to this like period party and ends up hiding in this hallway and comes out and it is like the 1800s. And she has all of this knowledge as an FBI agent and a murder happens and she can't use any forensics or anything like that and has to solve a case old school so it's really really enjoyable if you like mysteries it will be a series again I'm not a really big series fan either but I think this is a really good one even as a standalone the other one was called a thousand pieces of you it's a young adult book and you could give it to your teen it's not it's not too racy or anything and it's written by Claudia Gray and it is about a girl that has this necklace that transports her in time. Her parents are scientists and someone kills her father and she tries to vindicate, you know, like go against out into time, into the world and try to get the guy that it happens to be an assistant and, uh, you know, kind of make things right. And she's going to murder him back. And then she travels in time and finds out nothing is as it seems. And there's this really great love triangle. If you like Twilight, if you like Hunger Games, things like that, this book is on par with that, I feel like. And it's a very, not as well-known book. And I actually only picked it up because I have a Scribe membership and they, they offered it for free. And I picked it up and I absolutely loved it. And then the last one is called All the Missing Girls, and it's by Megan Miranda. There was a lot of missing girl books during the summer, but this one's called (laughs) All the Missing Girls. I know there's another, like, (laughs) missing girls. I don't know why. We all have to use the same title. But anyways, uh, basically, the reason why I liked it, not necessarily just for the plot line, but it starts with day 15 of a girl missing and works its way backwards. And so I think that it's really important to grab a hard copy of it because I tried to read it electronically and I could not flip back to try to piece things together. But you're almost a puzzle solver. And it's about how this missing girl case relates to another missing girl case. And it's in a small town and everybody's a suspect. So those are my three recommendations. Those all sound great. Amy, you always find the best stuff. She's so good at this. I know it. I know. (laughs) Well, before we wrap up, we have the whole fall season ahead of us with much more reading to be done. I would love to hear from each of you some of the books you are looking forward to reading this fall. Laura, what about you? Well, in the nonfiction world, I am super excited about Glennon Doyle Melton's Love Warrior. I've been looking forward to it for months. Mm -hmm. 
in the fiction world, I am looking forward to Tana French's latest, The Trespasser. I'm a huge fan of hers. I love the way that she writes these sort of Irish murder mystery things. That book comes out October 4th. Okay, Amy, anything on your looking forward to list for the fall? Well, a couple of these are, are ones that I know that other people have read, but I haven't dug into because I'm, I'm screening some things for moving into months ahead because I'm screening some stuff. But the ones that I am behind on are Before the Fall by Noah Hawley, which I know a lot of people have read, yes. and Lilac Girls by Martha Hall Kelly. But the other one I'm really, really interested in reading, and I'm not sure if I'm going to love it or not because I keep reading the reviews, but it's called The Underground Railroad, and it's by Colson Whitehead, and it looks oh, yes. really, really interesting. And I think Oprah selected it, and it, it's got a lot of buzz right now, so I'm really, really excited about that one as well. Yeah, that's on my list too. Okay, good. Good stuff. I can't wait to hear follow-up thoughts on those then. Well, like I said, we do want to hear from you all, your books and reading thoughts, what you read over the summer, what you're looking forward to. We'd love to hear from you on social media. So let's remind everyone where we can find you. Amy, where can we find you all around the web? I'm Mom Advice Everywhere. My website's momadvice.com, and you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, everything. I'm Mom Advice. Okay, Laura? <laughs> You can always find me by going to hollywoodhousewife.com. On Twitter, I'm Laura Tremaine. On Instagram, I'm laura.tremaine. And I do write these monthly secret posts where I send out a lot of things, personal beauty recommendations, and as always, what I am reading. So if you want more of that talk from me, you can sign up for the secret posts by going to hollywoodhousewife.com. I'd also really appreciate it if you would tune in to Megan and I's new show, called Smartest Person in the Room. You yes. can find it by searching Smartest Person in the Room on Facebook or smartestpersonintheroom.com. Okay, well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. Like I said, come find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. And the show is on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. Thanks again to Eat at Home for sponsoring today's episode. Eat at Home provides weekly meal plans for down-to-earth recipes made from the foods you love. Let Eat at Home do all the planning for you so that you can speed through shopping and cooking each week. Go to eatathomecooks.com and don't forget to use code AWESOME when you check out. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffert, and Laura Tremend. Visit us on the web at SortaAwesomeShow.com where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at PragerMusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. <laughs>